everybody. Welcome to Beats, Rye, and Types. Lucky episode 13. Spooky. <laughs> uh, you were just listening to this awesome recent track from this group, Emma Native, out of London, but the first album from the Steve Reed Foundation. So you should go out and buy it because it supports this awesome organization, the Steve Reed Foundation. Steve Reed was a great, one of the great jazz drummers and passed away a couple years ago and they started a foundation in his name to support uh kind of musicians and artists in need they're supporting a bunch of interesting artists and this was the first uh album and the first single off that album uh which was also co-produced by fortet who's one of my favorite electronic and just general artists of the past decade i would say uh and the it's a, actually a cover of a song from uh great jazz trumpeter but the song actually doesn't have any the original song doesn't have any trumpet in it i just listened to it and it's just kind of very similar soft drums but interesting rhythms and steve reed is famous for his kind of interesting rhythms and uh use of different international rhythms right i would say yeah i think that's that's a fair assessment yeah does the don does the original don cherry song have the thumb piano on it or it doesn't. It's just like kind of bass. It's Ed Blackwell and Don Cherry. And oh, it's just nice. bass and uh, bass and drums, and it's just kind of like an interesting rhythmic composition. That's a heavy. That's a heavy duo right there. Yeah. So today we were thinking we would talk about books. We were t- we were talking about it. And we realized books are a very crucial part of our lives and help us form a lot of our opinions on things, but also kind of drive a lot of our obsessions and inspirations, I would say. And we were thinking that we could have definitely multiple episodes on books. So let's let's call this books episode one, and we'll talk about uh, kind of what books form the foundations of our philosophy and thought and obsessions. So MRB, when you think about foundational books, what are the first books that come to mind, either on computers or on the food side? Well, yeah, I love books. Um, ever since I was a kid, I don't know, but for some reason they've always held this kind of mystical quality to me. So for better or worse, I tend to put a lot of stock into things that are printed in books. So I definitely have foundational books on both sides of things. Uh, I think a fun book to talk about on the food side is Harold McGee's uh, on, what is it called, on food and cooking? On food and cooking. Yeah, yeah. on food and cooking. So um, if you don't know who Harold McGee is, he's a food scientist. He ostensibly actually invented, you know, food science as it is currently understood and studied, and he was one of the first practitioners of it. There's a lot of very interesting interplay in the last, whatever, 15, 20 years or so between like haute cuisine and food science kind of food. But anyway, uh, this book is really cool because you would do it a disservice by calling it like a myth-busting book, which a lot of people often do, right? So there's these commonly held beliefs that people hold in the kitchen, you know, do things this way, don't poke a steak with a fork because it'll make the juices run out or put oil in your water when you make pasta or don't, and why do you do all these things? So a lot of times people try to pitch this book as like, if you want to know the real reason why food works the way it does, then go get this book. But more than that, it, it's like a way, in terms of philosophy and how I think about cooking and how I try to be a better cook, it's influenced me a lot more than any book that actually has recipes in it in the way that, you know, understanding what happens to food when you add salt to it and add pepper to it and cook it on this kind of heat in this kind of vessel and seeing someone who has taken the time to really understand not only 
the actual like physical science of it, but also, also like the cultural anthropological component to it uh, is really amazing. And I think the first time that the book really impressed me uh, when I was is when I was first getting into baking and home brewing, which was kind of around the same time. And I had had this book on my shelf for a while. I was like, hmm, I wonder if McGee has something to say about like how all this started. Like, how did we start making figuring out that there's like sugar in grain that if you crack it and then wash it you can like make booze out of the sugar and or you know bake bread turn it into bread or something else and I opened the book and of course there's like a whole section on grains and how grains are uh, you know absolutely fundamental to human society and you know there are shifts in our you know impact on the world accordant with our ability to extract like new exciting things from various grains from all over the world so i learned that like people were making beer in ancient egypt but not with barley with whatever grains they had you know and like there are some people think they know how it kind of could have happened and you can kind of put a story together like you know, they crack grain to bake stuff. And one day someone left a barrel of cracked grain outside and it got rain in it and the liquid was brown. <laughs> and the person was like, hmm, I should take a sip of that. And they noticed it was sweet. And then, you know, they left it there and then it started bubbling. And, you know, then they drank it and they felt funny and, you know, <laughs> yada, 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 beer. Um, so that's so yada 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 Budweiser exactly (laughs) which is mostly right or has a lot of rice in it actually which is maybe actually closer to what they would have made so that's a book uh, on the food side that's very important to me and isn't typical to find on people's cookbook shelves because it doesn't actually have like recipes in it it has a lot to teach you about how food actually works so that's my that would be my first i have a lot of other ones too of course but that would be that's like the one that comes to mind for me and i've had it for a long time and i've learned a lot from it it's it's foundational in the way like a textbook is foundational in a lot of ways like you're not going to just sit down and necessarily read through the entire book it's weighs about 18 pounds it's totally a reference book yeah yeah it's a reference book but at the same time it's it's crazy because anyone any other cookbook you ever have ever read basically from you know 2000 or 1995 on basically since that book was published uh, any food science that's referenced in any other cookbook is has to bibliography point to the on food and cooking like every single one there is no other you know resource about food science and it's where all these great chefs get their science from basically yeah um, very influential and not only that but like the the discovery of different foods, like that whole thing, and the myths about food discovery, like this, the same story kind of exists about cheese as as beer. You know, it's some, you know, and and cured cured animal products too, like the famous story of some pig falling into a salt bog and then they come back a couple months later and it's fully cured <laughs> bacon or whatever. You know, uh, it's it's all these myths that start out, and I think what's interesting about it is he talks about the myths. And how the myths become kind of just practice. Like you take this myth and you take this story and then eventually that turns into just what people do. And, you know, for centuries kind of what's interesting about it is he doesn't bust the myth, but he just talks about that for centuries people have cooked this way and this is how it started. But actually there's some science behind why that was right and there's some science behind why you don't actually have to do certain things. And I always find that super fascinating. 
Um, and I think, you know, if so, a lot of people now uh, love Serious Eats and the Food Lab and Kenji and his whole Kenji Lopez alt and his whole kind of um, methodical test and retest approach to, to cooking food until you get like whatever the ultimate pasta, the ultimate chili con carne, whatever, whatever recipe it is. And it's interesting because that whole approach is basically the scientific method, you know, and it's basically, yeah, it's basically what, what Harold McGee, none of those guys would basically exist without that book and him, him having done that first. Yeah. And Kenji's, uh, direct influence was working at America's test kitchen with Christopher Kimball, who is like that. He's the, he's a progenitor of that approach. So that's another really, really one of an, another book that I really like is the America's Test Kitchen Best Recipes book, the another giant book. It's a book that I often recommend to people when they ask me, like, what's a good cookbook to get to like learn about cooking and become a better become a better cook. It can be hard because they well they do a very good job of explaining why you do things right but it takes a lot of time if you spend all your time like making the best lasagna making the best pancakes making the best steak like this that you you know that's great and you'll get good at it but then you there's still a lot of strands to connect in the ideas between why those are the best recipes for those things that are like themes and uh that's not necessarily what this that book does super well but all the recipes in it are really tasty and they make the right it's another it's a book that's all about trade-offs too like they make all the right trade-offs in that book they're like yeah you could do this but it'll cost you like 15 dollars more to feed your family or you could do this and it's like nine percent not as good you know but it's so much cheaper and it's delicious and you can find this ingredient everywhere or whatever so I often recommend that book to people too. That's a really, really good one. And not fancy at all, you know, not fancy, like in the slightest. I mean, there's fancy stuff in there, but it's got everything in it. It's more about classic recipes and trying to turn the old wives' tales and the recipes passed down between generations of families that are, you know, filled with not science, but like magic, like we've talked about before and kind of fudge, fudging the details here and there um, into something that's like repeatable and, you know, distills all of that information into something that, that anyone can do. Yeah. I love the part where they're like, here's the best chocolate chip cookies. If you want them crispier, do this. If you want them fluffier, do that. You know what I mean? So like it <laughs> yeah, gives yeah. you like some dials to turn for the cookies. So yeah, what about you? What did you, what did you think about on the, on the food side for books that were influential to you? There's a couple cookbooks I would say that launched my interest in food. And then there are a couple that launched my interest in cookbooks if that makes sense, like I, I, I've been obsessed with cookbooks for the past while now and have kind of become almost a collector and just use them not only as references for actually cooking, but inspiration and just love having as many as I possibly can on my kitchen table at any given time. It's it's actually more recent, but definitely the, the Momofuku cookbook and the Frankie's cookbook, two New York cookbooks, both co-authored by Peter Meehan, which... I think just sort of changed the way I read and thought about cookbooks because they're just different. You know, I think they're definitely inspired by a lot of cookbooks that came before them, like the uh, Michael White uh, cookbook, uh, White Heat, which I think just, I just saw like it has like a 25th anniversary, I think, of it too. But this kind of cookbook that's focused on a chef, but also 
has this very conversational and direct tone that most cookbooks that I had read before that never had. And I think that that tone just is one was super inspiring, but also just made me want to read these books more. Like, you know, there's one thing to flip through recipes and just, and just find a recipe and be like, Oh, that, that photo of this recipe looks good. I will make that. Um, it's another thing to, to basically be able to, with, even without a photo, be able to describe a recipe or a, a technique or a dish in a way that not only makes you want to eat it, but makes you excited about cooking it and makes it fun. And that's what I like. There's so many ex- ex- specific memories of like even just lines in both of those cookbooks that I just love because they're so direct and so like so in your face about like and represent kind of now now that I've you know seen David Chang and the Franks kind of talk and see them live it really represents their characters in like a really meaningful way and it comes through in writing which is something that you don't often see in cookbooks so like in the Frankie's cookbook you know their tomato sauce recipe there's like the basic tomato sauce I think what they say is you know you pour the it's really simple, but basically you cook garlic, you uh, you saute garlic in olive oil, and then you just dump two giant cans of tomatoes into the thing, and then they're like, let it simmer, let it bubble, mother it a little bit, and like who, like that's the recipe in the recipe. It's like mother it a little bit, and I just I just love that. And also in the Momofuku cookbook, he keeps talking about how this thing is really fucking spicy. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> it's like, and it's just like who. What cookbook had I ever read or ever saw before that that described food in that way? Now now I see that kind of style used a lot. But even going back to other cookbooks, I find other cookbooks and I'm like, oh, the recipes in this look pretty good. But then I start reading it and they're just kind of flat and boring and don't really represent an ideal or any kind of character or have any presence in them like the, those books do yeah i love both of those books i think of i think of the ruleman authored um like thomas keller books as inspiration for totally. those peter Meehan books and but that he like i agree does a really good job of bringing out the character of those chefs another thing that i love about those books is that i you know i loved the restaurants and I had eaten at all of them before the books came out. Same. And so when you like eat somewhere and it's not like you can't really like recommend that someone have this experience. You have to get like very lucky <laughs> to ever have this happen to you, I think. But both of those books, I had been eaten at the restaurants often and they were two of my favorite places. And then these books came out and the recipes for the food that I really liked were in there and the stories behind them were in there and it was really cool to see that like that the chef centric kind of book and that also has really good recipes in it is really cool and i think it's like the same thing that you like about the book is like what you like about their food and that's kind of awesome right and that's like a thing that is very challenging to communicate so yeah definitely shout out to peter and me and for making that happen because that was a really cool and inspirational you know take that he, he had they they all had as i'm sure it was collaborative to to make those books come out that way like frankie's is like a very important rest, uh, restaurant to me so having the book be like perfect was really really awesome because it was like oh shit like and i've probably 
purchased that the Frankie's book for other people more than any other like single book or anything that I've ever <laughs> given to anyone. I often tell people that's the meatballs, that's the sauce. Just like check out this book. It's hilarious. What's it like? What's Brooklyn like? Like check out that book. It's really awesome. Yeah. 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 I, I, the the word the word I was looking for too is like honest. I think uh, it's like those both those books are just honest in a really meaningful way. You see these other cookbooks of chefs and it paints this very very perfect and idealized picture of not only what being a chef is like but like what their restaurants and what their food is like and those books you read the david chang story and how exhausted and like screwed up his entire life became from trying to open this restaurant and it's just so brutally honest and then you're like uh, is completely okay with admitting that he screwed up multiple times, you know, and he knows he's aware of his failures and he, but he realized that somehow he got really lucky in his mind and got, and was able to get past them. And I love that about them. You know, I was, I was thinking even before that, the Alice Water Chez Panisse Menus cookbook too, is a book that kind of represents that same honesty, but in a very, very, very different way, I would say, because her ideals, I would say, are maybe more conservative in a, in a, in a different way than the Franks or the or David Chang, but they're, but it's also a cookbook that very clearly represents a place and a time and a chef. I love her. The intro to the Chez Panisse Menus cookbook is one of my favorite pieces of food writing ever. I think because she just is just so honest about how if you don't love food, don't try to cook. Is basically the summation of her intro. You have to love food and love ingredients and love what you're doing to to make good food. I mean, not only do I agree, but it's just the way the way she phrases it. I'm I'm doing a poor job of paraphrasing it, but is is really great. I love that book too. Um, also, a, a pretty small, reasonably priced book that's available in paperback, and you can often find it used if you're looking for it. It's really cool to like just thumb through. It's organized seasonally. I use it a lot in like grilling season because I just like the combinations of things. It's like these meals, uh, you know, and here serve this for the appetizer, this for the entree, this for the dessert. Have this on the side drink this that's a really it's a it's a beautiful book i mean you know it's like roast a quail over you know grapevines that you get from the farmer or whatever which is like you're not going to necessarily do that but uh it's cool to have around it's also it also you should we should mention it has zero photographs in the entire book yeah and it's like you know there's a lot of there's a lot of cookbook i mean there was an era of cookbooks where that was true. I mean, color printing wasn't really easy and food photography isn't as important as it was now. And there's something amazing about the fact that, you know, you have this whole book and you read through it and you're like, wow, that sounds amazing. And I really want to cook that without ever seeing what it, what it looks like. Yeah. Does the Frankie's book have pictures? It has drawings. It, does, it, it is. It is like a couple sections of yeah. pictures, but it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not it's like the classic. Drawings. Like the the Momofuga book is more like a, you know has a lot of photos. A typical modern yeah, cookbook, yeah. yeah. Which is great because you know how the hell would you know what that shit would look like if you didn't like you know it's not like Joy of Cooking where you're like all right I know what a waffle looks like I don't like need a photograph. <laughs> So what about uh, what about on the computology side of things? What 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 is uh, you might not necessarily be able to wax as poetic about them as you have about the food books, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were a couple of books that definitely got me into programming. I think I talked before about there was that original HTML book that really got me super excited, and then I think the book that got me 
Into the Web was the Jeffrey Zeldman Designing with Web Standards book, which is kind of like a classic of... I, I look back, everyone... Like, everyone, I, I say the Jeffrey Zeldman Designing with Web Standards, and you can picture the cover probably exactly in your mind of his beanied head and the, the, whole, the whole thing. I don't know if I even learned that much from it, but it introduced me to this whole world of the fact that the web was not only a place where you can make like just simple pages, but it was like an evolving thing that that had a lot of different moving parts in it and was consistently uh, – there was a group of people who were consistently trying to push the envelope in what was possible there. And I think that that was always – that book really opened my eyes to – wow, you can just do so much with these simple tools if you know how to use them. Not that I like necessarily learned how to code from it, but it was just that idea that more more than just him, but there was definitely this whole movement of people who were really trying to push the web forward and do some really beautiful and interesting stuff on it. I didn't have much exposure or experience with like early uh, like web web design book stuff. I started programming uh, before the web, and I never really made any web stuff until like later on in my programming career. And still though, and I appreciate it. I always appreciated it and used it, and I appreciate the work that goes into it and everything. But I never. I never really learned from that angle, but I know that a lot of people have, so that's cool. That's a good, I, I like being able to draw that. I like the idea that you applied the ideas in that book based on design toward how you understood the way that computers work and how composing programs work and all that kind of stuff. That's cool. The first book that I really, really liked that had to do with computers was probably, when I was learning to program, was the KNRC book which is probably a pretty common answer to this question, but I didn't know very much about like programming or how computers worked at all. And I needed to learn C to do a project. And someone was like, oh, just check out this book. It has the whole language in it. And I was expecting some like crazy tome. And it's like this kind of small, slim book. It belies the complexity that is contained in the book, of course, because the whole idea behind C is that you're trying to plaster this understandable interface over the wild west which is like hardware and how the hardware actually works and it's as low to that as you could possibly write and at the time c was like a high level language right so it wasn't assembler uh it wasn't straight instructions it was a language that compiled into instructions so it was high level and you really could figure out how to write a C program from like staring at this book, reading it over and over again, jumping around from this part to the next part. I don't think that people who necessarily learn how to program from that book are going to end up like the best software engineers or computer scientists necessarily <laughs> without like a lot of reformation and therapy after that. But it is amazing and was very influential to me in that way because it really is like something that contained a language and had you know most of the parts of the language in it and tried to it also has like a style component to it which is kind of cool it's like there's other there's ways to write it here's how we think you should write it um we were influential in the creation of the language itself here's how we write it so that was a that was a big one for me but but early and so isn't necessarily very interesting uh, because it's kind of just like the first 
book I got. Like if someone had given me a Java book, it would probably would have had like the same exact impact. I just happened to want to be writing software for uh, like sound and image manipulation at the time. And back then, uh, which is still more or less the case, you just like you wouldn't pick up Java for that. Um, it was C and C++ that you would use. So I love that book. Mine's heavily annotated and I, I, I cherish it. Going back to our conversation about beginners too, there's something funny about the idea that, you know, now that we're quote unquote professional programmers, we look at our early code with disgust of like how, how, you know, quote, like hacky it was or how underperformant or whatever. It was just kind of cobbled together from ideas and, and whatever we could figure out. But at the same time, like those early things, we like made it work. You know, like and that, that was like all that really mattered. Like I, my first experiences with programming and like the, 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 a book that had the same kind of place in my mind in that way was the, the Perl black book, like learning Perl for the first time and learning how to like program the CGI and the web in that way. You know, that book was also just kind of a reference in a lot of ways, but at the same time, I wrote a lot of shitty, shitty Perl code that, that may or may not still be alive on the web somewhere. <laughs> um, you know, at that point, I wasn't concerned with, like, is this code beautiful or is it performant in any significant way other than can it run? And there's something, you know, kind of nice about programming that way and thinking about thinking about things in that way that's freeing that I wish I could still capture sometimes because it's like, yeah, you just follow, use the KNR and use whatever reference book to just program to the, to the point that it works and maybe that's good enough because you really are just trying to get something to work and you're just trying to learn. Yeah, I think a lot of people chase that feeling uh, and it's something that I definitely encourage people to find. If you can't find it in programming anymore, then find it in some other hobby or whatever it is that you're working on. Programming for the sake of programming, programming until it works, those are all like totally legitimate ways to spend your time and are super fun, super fun. And I don't think people have to feel bad about it. I mean, I, I think I think about that a lot because I want people to know what they're doing and to examine uh, the way that they do things because you can learn from that. And I think like we said in the beginner episode, like doing things now based on some like, you know, random Brownian walk from where you started is like not necessarily the best way to get as far as you can uh, and or or to go in like some general direction and pursue that so if knr was if knr was like a foundational book for me then another another computer book that has been really uh influential on me is one that i found probably five years ago or so heard of for the first time, which is uh, concept, Concepts, Techniques, and Models of Computer Programming. Uh, it's a book I've written a bunch of, about and spoken a bunch about, but the thing that I really liked about it was that it purports to contain uh, how to program in every conceivable programming paradigm and also purports to show you how those paradigms differ from each other and how they're similar to each other and also wants to help you understand like the formal basis of how programs work and how like the original people that made up the idea of programming languages and figured out that you could know that things will work the way you think they'll work if you follow these certain rules they all relied very heavily on this math and theory and they kind of break that down for you and show you how that works so 
after programming for like a really long time and then seeing one of the most one of the most influential things to me or one of the most impressive things was like they illustrated the mechanics of how scope works in in a program right and they're just like well they set everything up and they're like here's the scoping rule and here's how that like actually works when we're evaluating a program and if you didn't have that you know you wouldn't get the results that you're used to having right like we all work in lexically scoped programming languages that's like a given at this point but at one time they were trying to figure out like should scoping be dynamic like and there are still some dynamic scoping that happens like if you non-local returns and macros and all that stuff can make that kind of thing those things happen but everyone takes lexical scoping for granted now it's like a thing right like you have a you know you're inside a method there's a thing called d right that's the d that's inside that method no matter where else in the program there are d's like that's how it works right you just like everyone has like an intuitive notion of that after programming for like a sh even a short period of time uh, it's one of the first things you learn and in that book they just show you here's how it works and i was like oh of course like there's a rule Here's how it works. It's basically like, you know, you start, you choose a place to start and then like you kind of work your way out and there's an algorithm for evaluating a program that has that scope construct in it. That's why all programs evaluate that way that we're familiar with. And that's just one example of a thing where they just make all of the ideas very small and local so that you can understand just that thing. So they start with like the smallest possible programming language and it can't do very much. It's very verbose and annoying to write programs in, but you know exactly what it does when you look at it. It has referential transparency and you know, it, it can't do anything cool like tell you what time it is or send a network packet, but it's a program, right? And then they introduce you know, one thing and now you have functions and they introduce another thing and now you have, you know, classes or objects or it's distributed or not and how that interface, they keep it really small so that you can focus on the interface between the theory and the implementation, like how, how it works in the formal sense and how it works in the practical sense. So that book really blew my mind so shout out to michael fogus who we hope to get on here soon as a guest i think it's one of his posts and david nolan's uh talking about it that first got me interested in it going back to the cookbook stuff too i think both of us have a shared love of writing and books that kind of bridge that gap between theory and practice and uh you know where there's some amount of science and actual thought and ideals put into it and then on top of it some amount of either you know finesse or magic or soigne whatever you want to call it put on top of that and those are the those are the books and the recipes i think we find interesting because that's a really hard thing to do to to be able to sh have and share that information in a very very clear and almost mathematical way and then at the same time represent it and do it in a way that's beautiful or has some kind of aesthetic quality that that we like too and yeah a lot of the cookbooks that i think of even like the frankie's cookbook and other other things take the ideas of the harold mcgee book of like the science and then layer on top of it actually you know you can take that idea but you're not just gonna cook scientifically that there's no 
you know, then you just have, you know, a steak cube on a plate next to a potato cube. And that maybe that's not the most appetizing thing. And there's something about uh, taste and perspective that that lends itself to what what makes something good or interesting, too. Yeah, I think it's really hard to write well on that interface, for sure. And to be interested in it yourself, I think is, you know, it shows that it's I think it's kind of natural. It's like you you like something over a long period of time. If you're curious, you want to like know how it works and finding people that are capable of writing uh, on that to that audience and on that interface, so to speak, is I think rare. And those I think you're right. Those are a lot of the books. Those are a lot of the books that I like. I mean, there's, you know, there's more flowery, poetic, sort of purely uh, implementation detail kind of books that I like, both in cooking and in uh, and and in the computology world. But I think for sure the ones that have influenced me the most are ones that have style and can teach you about the underlying formalisms, like uh, kind of. Uh, you know, in an alternating kind of fashion. I think that's kind of that's kind of the key to it. It has to have style, or else it's just boring. Like if you ever, like a thing I don't ever suggest you do is like go to like the Culinary Institute and like look at like a textbook for like cooking the cooking courses that they take. Like it's there's it's the least interesting most mechanical thing ever like even i would not think that that's something that i would really want to have on my shelf it's just way it's just so designed for like cooking in a restaurant that like there's nothing to get out of it really and that since this is hyperbolic but you know there's there's no reason to really like have that at home uh like on your you know it's like reading a you know, it's like reading the NASA programming manual, like for fun <laughs> at home. You know what I mean? It's like not who do some people might do, that? which I is cool. Know. I mean, whatever, all of that is it's just to me, that's not my taste. Like it like those books. So maybe I do recommend that you check it out so you can go and see. I have ever checked those out before. Like the. Yeah, I took I took a class actually at the what is it? The French Culinary Institute in in New York and. And you get, yeah, you get one of those textbooks or like you get like a, you know, a spiral bound book of all these recipes. Right. It's really, it's really, it's very interesting actually, because you, people don't really probably know like what, what a textbook looks like in that area. So it might be cool for you to see it. You can learn from it, but it's kind of alienating and weird too, because it makes, I don't know. I have, I think, I, I think a lot of people, I have probably similar feelings about this as people probably do about programming that aren't professional programmers. Like it is interesting to an outsider. It's like what a programmer does or what a chef does, but like you look a little too closely at it and it's like, eh, I don't really want to know how the, like <laughs> how the so-called sausage is made there. You know, it's a little bit mechanical and by necessity, right? I mean, you're breaking down large amounts of organic matter and like trying to turn it into like palatable, uh, repeatable, consistent, food like you need a manual like you need a machine guide like thing to do that uh similarly with like programming it's just like the it's like a testing book to like a non-programmer like it would be really like what kind of pleasure would you ever get out of that not much i don't know if it's that similar with uh computer science school maybe a little bit but 
the interesting thing about cooking school and the way cooking professionals learn through formal education is really not how you picture chefs and professional cooks. Like when people picture professional cooks and chefs, they picture these wild, you know, inspired artists who are like taking ideas and turning them into beautiful plates. But the the work of cooking is actually all about like that very little minutia of getting everything prepped in order to do this. And not that I've I've ever really worked professionally in a kitchen, but it's all about that, um, the mise en place and about just repeatability. It's about doing the same thing over and over and over again. And there really isn't any finesse in most of it. And you have to like go through years of that kind of shit work of just cooking the same chicken cacciatore over and over and over again before you can be like, well, this is my version of a chicken cacciatore, you know? Like, it's not, it's very different from the act of cooking at home and following recipes. But at the same time, I, I kind of echo Mike's sentiment. It's kind of interesting, if you are interested in recipes and are interested in food, to do the reverse kind of path. If you want to cook a really good recipe, you know, you cook it, you find a really great recipe, you finesse the shit out of it and get some really beautiful food on the plate, but then go back and think like, what are the steps that made this interesting? What are like, what are the techniques and really try to think about it in a formal way and not just as like a, here, I'm putting food on the table. I think both approaches are really interesting for sure. And like, of course, the idea is like make something delicious that you have a lot of fun making. So I mean, and it, but it's easy to lose sight of that. It's like, oh, man, it doesn't look like the picture and whatever. But people don't care. Like your guests don't care. And people that you have around you and who you want to feed, like they just are stoked about the fact that you took time to like make something for them. Awesome. Well, speaking of books, we're still working on our pizza book. And you should check out and sign up for the mailing list and we'll be sending out some updates soon, hopefully. If people are interested in potentially pre-ordering it or getting an early advanced copy, let us know, tweet at us, and maybe we'll work out some kind of situation for that. Otherwise, uh, thanks everybody for listening and we'll, we'll keep, keep it up. All right, peace. <laughs>